Welcome to Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about Governor J.B. Pritzker being the top defendant in several high-profile Supreme Court cases, while also being the top donor to then-Supreme Court's justice candidates. We'll also get the latest in litigation against the state's gun ban and whether ethics are being discussed in Springfield. I'll then join the Center Square executive editor, Dan McCaleb, to further discuss the news. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Hello, I'm Katherine Mincer, a family farmer raising corn and soybeans in Christian County, Illinois. It might be hard to believe, but 96% of the farms in Illinois are owned and operated by family farmers just like me. Our job is to grow the healthiest, most affordable food around to feed my family and yours. Meet more farmers just like me at www.watchusgrow.org corn. A message from the Illinois Corn Marketing Board. Welcome back to Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. Governor J.B. Pritzker doesn't just appear at the top as a defendant in the Macon County gun ban challenge in front of the Illinois Supreme Court. He's also at the top of two Supreme Court justices' campaign donations. Pritzker donated a total of $2 million to then-Illinois Supreme Court candidates Mary O'Brien and Elizabeth Rochford, a million dollars each. They won and now sit on the bench of seven. The two were also widely seen on social media alongside and getting praise from gun control groups. The court has processed a direct appeal from the Illinois Attorney General to hear oral arguments in mid-May in the gun case. It's unclear if O'Brien and Rochford will recuse themselves. Justices can be listed as taking no part in certain cases when opinions are issued. Chris Forsyth with the Nonpartisan Judicial Integrity Project out of Colorado said regardless of the case, the judiciary must always be above reproach. Political donations can lead to issues of judicial integrity, and the United States Supreme Court has said so. Um, in some cases, they have found political donations to be so great that there's a conflict of interest that's impermissible. Meanwhile, Pritzker said he didn't violate campaign finance laws. He approved last year when before November's election, he gave half a million dollars from both his campaign account and his trust fund to two Supreme Court candidates for that total of $2 million. Those candidates are now justices on the bench and set to hear the gun ban challenge in May and the no-cash bail challenge next week. Wednesday, asked if they should recuse themselves from the cases, Pritzker said they are independent justices. If you're suggesting that uh, the fact that I gave money to, let's say, the Democratic Party or to the committees that supported uh, candidates means that everybody who received any money has to recuse themselves from anything to do with the state of Illinois, that's ridiculous. And I've certainly never asked anybody to vote a certain way or decide on a case a certain way. I would never do that. I never have. I never will. Meanwhile, opponents of Illinois' gun ban seeking clarity on whether Illinois state police are enforcing the state's gun ban that was deemed unconstitutional. Friday, a Macon County judge issued a final judgment that Illinois' gun ban is unconstitutional on grounds of equal protections. State Representative Dan Calkins, who brought the case, said that the judgment makes the law null and void statewide pending an appeal. And in order to make a direct appeal to the Illinois Supreme Court under this uh, Rule 302A1, uh, the Attorney General has to agree that the law has been invalidated and it negates the very existence of the law and in all applications. State Representative Patrick Windhorst urged the Illinois State Police to clarify if they're enforcing the law pending an appeal. If they are actively enforcing this law, why are they enforcing a law that courts have deemed as unconstitutional? 
Illinois State Police said they're following guidance from the Illinois Attorney General's office. The AG's office didn't return messages seeking comments. Wednesday, an expedited appeal was taken up by the Illinois Supreme Court with a hearing set for May. And a year after former Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan was indicted on 22 counts of federal corruption, Republicans in the minority at the State House say more needs to be done to shore up ethics. Madigan and four associates, including former ComEd officials and lobbyists, face allegations of nearly a decade-long scheme in what federal prosecutors called Madigan Enterprise. State Representative Blaine Wilhauer said federal prosecutors shouldn't have to be the last stopgap to expose corruption. He and other Republicans are looking for more power for the legislative inspector general and conflicts of interest reporting. If we can have mechanisms that actually shine light on this stuff and expose this stuff, then it's far less likely that it's ever going to happen in the first place. It's unclear if any of the measures Republicans are looking to advance will advance out of committee before Friday's deadline. State Representative Ryan Spain said that they're ready to move them forward. We have bills that are ready to go right now that should not be wait for some potential assembly of an omnibus that may or may not happen late in the session. Will Hauer said Illinois' corruption crisis is a worldwide embarrassment and impacts the ability for regular people to prosper. He said without more ethical guardrails in place, taxpayers will continue to suffer. Big money special interest comes in and gives big money to politicians in power who then pass legislation that is basically for the special interests, mostly written by the special interests, that benefit the status quo at the expense of the taxpayers in this state. And those are the top stories from the past week from Illinois. Find more online at americastalking.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, I'll join the Center Square executive editor, Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus, the production of America's Talking Network. I'm Greg Bishop. Freedom and liberty are important to all of us in Illinois, from Rockford to Carbondale, from Quincy to Decatur. If you're looking for civil, intellectual conversations with those shaping the future of freedom, try the Future of Freedom podcast with me, Scott Bertram. We speak with leaders across the country in the greater conservative and libertarian movements. In-depth conversations about where the next intellectual battles will happen across the country. It's the Future of Freedom podcast. Find it at americastalking.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Illinois in Focus. I am Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square Newswire service. Joining me today is Greg Bishop, the Center Square's Illinois editor and senior statehouse reporter. How are you doing today, Greg? Dan, I'm doing well. It's a busy week here in Springfield. Bill deadline day is Friday, where they've got to advance bills out of the House committees and bills out of the Senate committees. And there are just hundreds of bills that have been flying all over the place. I don't know how you keep up with all of that. Greg, we're recording this on Thursday, March 9th. We have a lot to talk about today, so let's get right into it. You reported this week on Governor Pritzker's a million dollar donations to two Illinois Supreme Court justices when they were candidates um, last year from two separate um, of his campaign funds. Um, uh, and, and this comes as the Illinois Supreme Court, including these two justices, are uh, about to sit in on arguments on two highly controversial bills that Governor Pritzker himself signed. One, uh, the Safety Act and its cashless bail provision, and the other, the uh, the gun ban and registry uh, that he also signed into law. Tell us about this story about his campaign contributions. 
Yeah, this is uh, really fascinating because uh, the governor is the lead defendant in both of these cases. And you've got the no cash bail case that's actually going to be heard by the Illinois Supreme Court next week. And then the gun ban challenge is going to be heard in sometime mid-May. Uh, but back in 2022, Governor J.B. Pritzker, he signed legislation that capped donations to judges at $500,000 from an individual. But that didn't stop him from donating uh, $500,000 to Mary O'Brien and $500,000 to Elizabeth Rochford, uh, two then-candidates for the Illinois Supreme Court. But he didn't stop there. Uh, that money came from his campaign fund. Keep in mind, the governor's campaign fund Fund. He's self-funding and uh, he's he spent 300 plus million dollars in his 2018 and 2022 campaigns. But he also used that money to fund various candidates for other offices, including these two Supreme Court justices. So he gave $500,000 each from his campaign fund, but he went further and gave another $500,000 to each of these candidates from his revocable trust. And all of this can be found through campaign filing disclosures. So each of these Supreme Court candidates got $1 million each from Governor J.B. Pritzker. And uh, these candidates ended up winning their election. And now they're on the bench of seven Illinois Supreme Court justices. And like we mentioned, they're set to hear the no cash bail case that was brought by state's attorneys across the states December. It was heard by a Kankakee County judge declared unconstitutional. The state Supreme Court said to avoid any chaos, we're going to halt implementation of the law on New Year's Eve. It was supposed to take effect January 1st. And then they set up the oral argument schedule after all the briefings back and forth. And again, that's going to be heard next week. And then you've got the gun ban challenge out of Macon County that was decided on Friday as being unconstitutional. That judge deemed it uh, was unconstitutional, and that set up a direct appeal to the Illinois Supreme Court. So you've got that as well, where the the governor is a top defendant in that case also. Um, But what's interesting here is it's not just the governor who's a top defendant in these two cases and also a top donor to these two Supreme Court justices on that bench of seven justices. Illinois House Speaker uh, Chris Welch is also a top donor. He gave one candidate $150,000 and another candidate $350,000. And uh, again, uh, the speaker is one of the top defendants on these cases. And it's raised the question, uh, even from independent observers from outside of Illinois. I talked to the uh, Judicial uh, Integrity Project out of Colorado, a nonpartisan group, uh, and they said that any kind of uh, question of uh, bad optics. Uh, any kind of question of poor um, uh, possible conflicts of interest really does mean that there is a conflict and that uh, judges need to recuse themselves in order to uh, keep the integrity of the judiciary intact. Because if you don't have that intact, then you uh, have a lack of confidence in the opinions that could be issued by that crucial third branch of government. Uh, So really a fascinating development there in the uh, not just the gun ban litigation, which we've been following closely, but also the no cash bail litigation that's going to be heard next week. Greg, we're going to talk more about the gun ban uh, and where we're at in that process with the with all the lawsuits here in a moment. Um, but um, 
you had the opportunity to raise that question about ju- judicial impartiality and whether these two justices who re- received a million dollars each from Governor Pritzker and even and uh, and uh, additional funding from the the House Speaker who also sponsored these this legislation or voted for these two pieces of legislation, um, you, you had the opportunity to ask Pritzker if the, he thinks they should recuse himself. Yeah. And, and the governor, again, uh, in Springfield earlier this week, um, gave me the opportunity to ask him to explain his donations and whether or not he thinks that the justices should recuse themselves. And then you'll hear him walk away from the podium where I then ask if he circumvented campaign finance laws. And here's uh, here's the governor. I am sure this is something that the right wing is trying to stir up. I know you've written about it. Um, the fact of the matter is I supported candidates who are running all across the board. Um, if you're suggesting that uh, the fact that I gave money to, let's say, the Democratic Party or to the committees that supported uh, candidates means that everybody who received any money has to recuse themselves from anything to do with the state of Illinois, that's ridiculous. And I've certainly never asked anybody to vote a certain way or decide on a case a certain way. I would never do that. I never have. I never will. Um, and these are independent judges and they didn't go around and campaign on things, you know, that, that they thought would win my support for them. I believe in them. I supported them like lots of other people did. And the governor Thank you. To walk away. And I asked, did you circumvent uh, campaign finance laws? And he looked back and said, no. So there's the, the governor. Interesting, Greg. But let me first ask you about that initial uh, comment from Governor Pritzker directed straight at you about, you know, conservative talking points, Republican talking points um, when it comes to this. You've been covering Illinois for many years now. You are, in my opinion, uh, the best reporter covering state house, state covering the state house in the state, cover things straight from the center. You talk to Democrats, you talk to Republicans, you present both sides of the issues in, in, in this story. What do you think about that comment? Yeah, it seems that um, the governor uh, falls back on using these terms like uh, right wing or, uh, you know, uh, Republican talking points uh, when when certain difficult questions may be posed. And uh, we've seen this before, even, you know, during the COVID-19 pandemic, where we had to ask Ask questions through an intermediary during remote uh, virtual news conferences uh, or even in person. Or if I have to have somebody in a remote location ask a question on our behalf, you get the governor reacting in this manner. And and I think it's it's somewhat telling uh, because it doesn't address the question at hand. And I'll tell you, um, I, I talking to nonpartisan groups. This isn't an outlandish question about perceived conflicts of interest within the judiciary and how that should lead to a recusal to secure the integrity of the judiciary. That's not an outlandish question to ask, but the governor uh, falling back on calling it a right wing talking point, I think, really does uh, signify it was a tough question for him to answer, uh, especially it coming to light of these one million dollar donations to these two Supreme Court justices. But one thing's for sure, Dan, I will continue to talk to Republicans and get their side. I will continue to talk to Democrats and get their side. I'll continue to talk to independents to get their side or advocates or opponents of legislation to get their side. Uh, these types of comments won't sway us at all in our uh, continued Center Square reporting. I, I was going to say, uh, Greg, that was absolutely a legitimate question um, to ask. Uh, you continue being you. You have the full support of me and uh, the entire leadership 
at, at the center square. Why don't we move on though? Um, we, we talked a little bit about the gunman, uh, gun ban, excuse me, as part of, um, uh, Pritzker's campaign contributions to the justices. As you said during that segment, um, this is going to go before the Illinois Supreme Court after a judge on Friday, uh, ruled the, the new gun ban unconstitutional. Why don't you just give us an update on wh- where we stand with the gun ban and the legal challenges to it? Sure. So um, separate from the federal cases, which you've got four consolidated cases in the Southern District of Illinois federal courts, briefings are being had from both sides of that in the weeks ahead. And there's a mid-April oral argument set in the federal courts. So those cases are still pending. Now, looking at the state level challenges, of course, we have the three challenges from attorney Thomas DeVore, one in Effingham County, one in White County, and a a third out of Effingham County. Now, the first Effingham County case, he secured a temporary restraining order for his plaintiffs, about 866 or so. The state then appealed to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals for state court, and uh, the Fifth Circuit upheld that TRO on the basis that it's likely the challenge against the gun ban on grounds of equal protections violations would succeed on its merits. So since the fifth district gave that ruling, it then allowed for other temporary restraining orders to be issued in the two other divorce cases, but also in a fourth separate case that was brought by State Representative Dan Calkins in Macon County. Now, Calkins's case was separate from divorce, despite divorce trying to consolidate those cases. And Calkins decided to, instead of trying to do a long discovery process of trying to get subpoenas from the speaker or the governor or whoever else in how the law was crafted as divorce trying to do. Calkins wanted to get a swift decision on a uh, county court case that would be good for the entire state instead of plaintiffs that paid an attorney to be part of a temporary restraining order. So Friday, they had a status hearing in Macon County. The judge initially took an agreed order that essentially said the Fifth Circuit had their say and we're going to follow that. Uh, He took it under advisement, but then literally an hour afterwards signed that agreed uh, order and declared the state's gun ban unconstitutional on its face on grounds that it violated equal protections because it carves out. Law enforcement, retired law enforcement, security guards, uh, prison wardens, uh, those uh, individuals in those industries aren't uh, having to comply with the state law. So uh, the county level judge said that is uh, a violation of uh, of of the Constitution. Uh, So that is a final judgment in that case. At the county level. Now, the Illinois attorney general representing the governor and the speaker of the House and the uh, Senate president immediately appealed directly to the Illinois Supreme Court. And uh, there's some uh, questions as to whether or not that county level case 
means that the state gun ban is unconstitutional statewide or if it just applies to those plaintiffs. Now, Calkins's attorney, Jerry Stocks, he tells me that if a law is deemed unconstitutional, it's deemed unconstitutional, not just for one county, but for the entire state. And he also said that anybody in law enforcement that would go and try to enforce an unconstitutional law could be risking severe liability, uh, especially if that law has been adjudicated unconstitutional. The Illinois Attorney General says different. Uh, and I have a request in for comment from Illinois State Police as to if they're enforcing this law. They replied and simply said that they're following guidance from the Illinois Attorney General. They didn't explicitly say whether or not they're enforcing that, uh, just that they're following the Attorney General's guidance. I have a request for comment into the Illinois Attorney General's office. And as of here we are, uh, March 9th in the afternoon hours, uh, I have yet to see a response on what that guidance is. I look forward to uh, your continuing coverage that listeners can read at the centersquare.com. We've got time probably for just one more story. We have a huge trial starting next week. I think most of our listeners are probably aware that last year, federal prosecutors indicted longtime former Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan on more than 20 corruption-related counts. Well, related to that, Madigan's trial doesn't start next week. Madigan, of course, has pleaded not guilty, denies the accusations against him. But related to that trial um, uh, are four defendants, two from ComEd, another a lobbyist, another a Madigan, longtime Madigan confidant, confidant, Michael McLean. They are standing trial next week on bribery and corruption-related stories in federal court in Chicago. Yeah, this is going to be obviously a um, uh, where people are going to be on the edge of their seat to to see what happens. Uh, And and just to kind of flash back all the way to the summer of 2020, at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, there was that uh, deferred prosecution agreement that federal prosecutors out of the Northern District of Illinois revealed that showed a nearly 10 year long scheme from ComEd to try to curry favor from public official A. And public official A was not named, but it was said in the deferred prosecution agreements that it was the longtime Illinois House speaker. Now, Madigan was not charged with a crime at that time in the summer of 2020. And ComEd, uh, they agreed to cooperate with federal prosecutors and also agreed to pay a $200 million fine. Uh, and then we waited and waited and waited until all of a sudden you had one former ComEd official uh, Del Marquez plead guilty to this and uh, you can imagine is cooperating in this case. And then you had four other individuals who were charged pleading not guilty. Uh, So then we waited and waited and waited until earlier in uh, last year, uh, a year to go, a year ago in March. That uh, you had 22 counts then issued against Michael Madigan uh, about bribery and a whole host of other things. Now, Madigan has pleaded not guilty. His case isn't until uh, next year. But as you said, next week, uh, our investigative reporter, Brett Rowland, he's going to be watching this very closely and uh, seeing all of the inner workings and how this trial is going to play out for those four defendants, uh, you know, former ComEd officials, former lobbyists 
uh, confidants of of Madigan's. Uh, they've all pleaded not guilty. But when you start covering these types of cases, you can really get into the minutia of the filings that defendants make about what evidence is going to be permissible, what evidence they fear might taint the jury's opinion about things. Um, we've already seen that play out on a couple of different fronts, but there's a whole host of other things that are going to be happening and a bunch of revelations, I would imagine, as well. Uh, all of this uh, culminating to uh, to see you know what a jury might decide in the weeks ahead concerning these four individuals and how that might impact uh, the future of Mike Madigan's case, which, again, isn't set for trial until sometime in 2024. Greg, as always, thanks for your great reporting. Thanks for your great insight for our listeners. But that is all the time we have. Listeners can keep up with Greg's coverage uh, and all of our staff's coverage at thecentersquare.com. For Greg Bishop, I'm Dan McCaleb. Please subscribe and thank you for listening. 